This morning from Luke chapter 24, beginning in the 36th verse. Jesus Himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The word of life. So you can consider this our down Sunday after Easter. Churches across the country swell in numbers on Easter Sunday morning. Churches large and small find their attendance growing, sometimes doubling and tripling on Easter Sunday morning. And then typically on the next Sunday, they have their down Sunday where everyone doesn't come back. And their attendance looks very different. We negate that a little because the Sunday after Easter for us is Confirmation Sunday. So we invite the confirmands who've been studying all year, who are ready to step up now and take their vows and make a decision for themselves about their faith and say, I'm ready to be responsible for walking this Christian life. At the same time, we invite them, we invite our 50-year members to come at the end of the service and stand alongside of them so that they see what faith looks like that's been lived faithfully over decades. And for that reason, we have a pretty strong crowd the Sunday right after Easter. So now we come to the next week. It's sort of our down Sunday. Not everybody came back, did they? Not everybody responds to the gospel, even the Easter message, in the same way. People respond differently to the gospel, to the Easter message, to the resurrection in our day. And they responded differently in the first days after Jesus has been raised. Our gospels tell us all about these different responses. So, I've called this series, we're in the midst of responses to the gospel. You may remember that first week we talked about how the gospel of Mark said they were seized by this idea that Jesus really could be raised from the dead. Then last week we turned to the gospel of John. He told us about Thomas, one of the original twelve disciples, and how he was absent. He missed the first time that Christ came as the risen Christ, and stood among the disciples. And yet the story went on to tell us that a week later, the risen Christ came back and Thomas was there 
And he received this offer of peace and life because of the risen Christ, just as you and I receive it today. Well, this text tells of another appearance of Christ to those first disciples. But Luke describes it a little bit differently. In verse 37, he says they were startled and terrified. Then in verse 38, he says they thought maybe they were seeing a ghost. They were having trouble believing that this could really be happening. Yet this is the Christian story in capsule. That is, that God decided to take on human flesh and live among us. John 1 says it most clearly. That very first chapter talks about God deciding to come and live among us as a human. And yet God with us. But the other Gospels, Matthew and Luke... They make the same case in a little different way. They tell us stories about Jesus' birth and how He was born to human parents, how He came to live among us, that He was fully human and somehow still fully divine, that He was born as a human baby, and yet it was God with us, Emmanuel. So I suggest to you that Easter is an extension of the Christmas story. That the bodily resurrection is an extension of the bodily birth. That throughout the Gospels, the writers want to hold this idea together that we are really human and that Jesus was really human. And yet somehow He was also divine and that we are made as well in the image of God. The bodily resurrection is another affirmation that somehow body and soul are connected. Now the frustrating part for most of us who live after the rise of science is that the Bible never tries to explain how. It doesn't try to explain how someone can be born both human and divine. And it doesn't try to explain how a dead body can be raised again to life. That's hard for us. Because so often nowadays we want to know, how did that happen? How could that happen? There's a prayer we use often in our funeral liturgy that I think helps us encounter this. It goes like this. The prayers to God said, Help us to so believe where we have not seen that Your presence, O God, may lead us through our years and bring us at last with them, that is, those who have died, into the joy of Your home, not made with hands, but eternal in the heavens. It is a recognition in the face of death that we cannot comprehend all of God and we cannot comprehend all that God is doing. And yet, we pray to that God. The one we believe has come to be present with us through Jesus Christ. That that same presence may lead us through our years. Through these years where we do not comprehend all that God is doing. 
and lead us all the way to the other side of death so that even though we don't see clearly now, we are trusting and praying that we will see clearly then. And yet this is a stumbling block to so many people who say, well, that you're asking me not to think, to turn off my brain. That's anti-intellectual. I cannot be a believer if you cannot prove these things. But let me suggest to you another way to think about this. I mentioned to you a few weeks ago during the season of Lent before Easter when we were talking about the suffering and death of Christ, a pastor by the name of Reverend William Sloan Coffin. I told you his story because he lost his son when he was, the son was still a young adult in a tragic car accident. And a few days later, he had to stand up and preach. And he talked about his beliefs about life and death and God. And I thought he had some profound things to say to us. Well, he's written some things about this subject we're dealing with today that I think can help us. I'm going to read you a few sentences of what he wrote. See if you find any truth in this. He says, There is nothing anti-intellectual in the leap of faith. For faith is not believing without proof, but trusting without reservation. Faith is no substitute for thinking. On the contrary, it is what makes good thinking possible. It has what we might call a limbering effect on the mind by taking us beyond familiar ground. Faith ends up giving us that much more to think about. Certainly, Peter and Andrew, James and John, in deciding to follow Jesus received more to think about than had they stayed at home. And so it is with all of us. If we give our lives to Christ, if we leave familiar territory and take the leap of faith, what we receive in return fills our minds altogether as much as it fills our hearts. So in this aspect, I think we are very much like those earliest disciples when we are challenged by the idea of a bodily resurrection. See if you can hear it. Luke describes how those earliest disciples are responding in verse 41. While in their joy, they were disbelieving. Disbelieving. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. I think that sounds like a lot of people I know, Christians and non-Christians, who are excited about the prospect of life after death, and yet sometimes are still wondering about it, and sometimes are still struggling to believe it. Could it really be? Is that really a possibility? Did God really do that for us? I was reminded of Mother Teresa. She lived such a powerful life of faith. The way she cared for so many people who were dispossessed and marginalized and forgotten about. People who were dying, lying on the streets. And she would go and find them and take them 
home to care for them, to nurse them back to health, or to at least care for them until their death. And yet a few years after she died, a group of her letters were published. And the letters shared her own struggles and her own doubts. She talked about her own doubt in her times of darkness. She even wondered in the letters, where is Jesus? Where is the intimacy I felt when I was first called? In some of the letters, she even questions the existence of God. And once those letters were published, people were disillusioned, disbelieving. Some even got angry and called her a fraud. But after I heard about what she had written, I thought, but of course, anyone who's been in ministry very long knows people have doubts. Pastors have doubts. Doubt is part of the journey. Doubt is part of the journey of faith. Wondering is part of the cycle of faith. Asking questions about God and other matters are signs of a growing faith. Not signs of no faith. Gail Sheehy became very well known years ago. She had written several articles, but she wrote a book that became very popular, became a bestseller. It was called Passages. You might remember it. She had been studying adult human development and had interviewed scores of people. And she began to write about what she found. And she said, there's a pattern here that I'm seeing as I talk to these people. Is that all of them, every few years, go through a passage or a season of life where they ask again questions about their own life. Am I going in the right direction? Am I where I thought I would be at this age and stage in life? Am I doing what I want to do? Am I spending time focused on what I want to focus on? Faith questions sound a little different than that, but they happen as well. Am I fulfilling God's call upon my life? Am I using the gifts God has given me the way God wants me to use them? Am I nurturing my relationship with God the way I want or the way that I desire or the way I think I should? We all have questions about life and faith and they come up again and again. In short, Gail Sheehy said it happens, according to her research, about every decade. The people go through a season of asking some questions, sometimes in a very dramatic way, in other ways less so sometimes, but that all of us go through these different seasons of life where we have our doubts, we ask our questions, we have a period of wondering. Our text gives us a couple of the responses, a couple of ways to respond even to our wondering i want to look at those before we close the first one is in verse 45 where luke says then he jesus as the risen christ opened their minds to understand the scriptures 
opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. We say this is a living Word because it's the place that we make connection most often and most reliably with the living God. Christians believe and profess that God can speak to us even today through these words, through these pages, through these books, through these stories. Understanding the Scriptures is an important part of our faith journey. Lifelong Bible study is an important part of a vital faith because this is the place Christians profess we most often can encounter not just God's Word, but God speaking to us and being present in our own lives. But there's a second idea in terms of how we might respond to questions of faith and our own wondering. You can find it in verse 47. It says that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in His name, that is the name of Christ, to all nations the idea is here that if we repent that is turn toward god new life is available for any and all of us abundant life and eternal life that forgiveness of sins is available and will give us a fresh start that god's love is available to any and all who are willing to turn toward god who desire to be a follower of God's ways in the world. And the Easter proclamation is that when we do that turning toward God, God's love renews the image of God within us and gives us a renewed life or a new life in Christ. Now we're not all on the same journey. We're not all the same place or the same age or the same stage of faith. And yet the good news is that we are all offered the same opportunity to know and love God. We're all given the same opportunity to know and love God because we profess that Christ suffered and died for all, for each and every one of us, and that Christ was raised for all of us. It's a mystery of the gospel how all of this can be and yet it's a profession of faith from christians throughout the centuries that this is how god is at work in our world and in our lives it all made me think of a prayer that's in our hymnal i want to use it this morning as a way to close the prayer goes like this number 493 if you want to look on thanks be to thee O lord jesus christ for all the benefits which thou hast given us for all the pains and insults which thou hast borne for us O most merciful redeemer friend and brother may we know thee more clearly Love Thee more dearly and follow Thee more nearly for Thine own sake. Amen.